What's up, sport fans? Welcome to Take Your Shot with me, Matias Brabell, episode number three. This show is going to be a lot of fun. We're going to talk some NBA, we're going to talk some MMA, and we have a very special guest coming up right after the break. Damon Martin from MMAfighting.com will join the show. Now, we're going to preview UFC Vegas number 11. Also, recap UFC Vegas number 10. Jesus, is that where we're at right now? 11 and 10? I remember when it was UFC Vegas number one during the pandemic, and everybody was just ecstatic to get some fights going on. We've made it all the way to 11. How time has flown by. And talking about time flying by, NBA playoffs, we are at the conference finals. Something I did not, you know, when Black Lives Matter movement was going on and the players decided to take a strike and not play, I honestly never thought that we would get to this point. I thought the season would be canceled. I thought it would be too much for the players to play under what was going on around the world and them being stuck in a bubble and not really able to participate in the movement. I thought it was going to go bonkers. Not the case. We've made it to the conference finals. And the Los Angeles Clippers, my Los Angeles Clippers, are not in the conference finals. I repeat, my Los Angeles Clippers are not in the conference finals. It pains me to say this. As a Clipper fan, a lifelong Clippers fan, I thought that the curse would finally be broken this year. After however many years, is it now 50 years since franchise history, since the Clippers cannot get out of the second round of the playoffs, even with Paul George, even with Kawhi Leonard, even with a Lou Williams, a six-man-of-the-year Montrez Harrell, a big center in Avinka Zubak, doesn't matter, won't matter. The Clippers are not there. Again, the Lakers will be taking on the Denver Nuggets to start the Western Conference Finals starting tomorrow, Friday. Denver and the Lakers game one. Oh, I never wanted to say that. I didn't want to say it. It pains me to say it. I've been dreading saying it for the last couple days. It's been hell for me. There's no other way to put it. Doc Rivers, what the hell are you doing changing up the rotation? But that's a story for a different day. I'm not going to be the one destroying the Clippers right now and and calling their team cursed. Stephen A. Smith and Max Kellerman and every other media journalist in the NBA world right now has already done that for the last two days. I'm sure you're sick of it. And plus, there's a good chance that all you people listening in L.A. right now and around Southern California are probably Los Angeles Laker fans because Los Angeles is a Laker town. And you guys are probably smiling right now and laughing at me because I'm a Clipper fan. But that is the way it is, and it will never change. Clip for life, baby. Clip City, Chip City, maybe one day. But that's how it's going to go. Lots of changes coming for the Clippers. Montrez Harrell, he'll probably probably be out. The reigning sixth man of the year. I don't think the Clippers will be able to afford him come offseason. Clipper moves that need to be made. Make sure that they retain Marcus Morris. They have to groom Terrence Mann and Mofindu Kabengeli, their draft pick out of Florida State. You know, a pretty big power forward slash center that can shoot. Those are the moves that the Clippers have to make right now. You know why? Because they traded a bunch of first-round picks for Paul George. So they don't really have a future with those draft picks right now. And will they retain Doc Rivers or go in a different direction? My best guess is that they will retain Doc Rivers for another year and have the group together for year number two. Like Paul George said, this team was not built to win this year. Uh, I'm going to call that rubbish. When you have that many great players on your team, it is always a must-win year. That's just the way it goes. They have to absorb that pressure 
that comes with that name. They did not do that this year. We'll see what happens in year two and the new faces that come around for the Clippers because there's always going to be free agents that want to come play with Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Lou Williams, Marcus Morris, Patrick Beverly. The list goes on. The Clippers are still going to be great. But that's enough Clippers right now. Let's focus on the Western Conference Championship. The Denver Nuggets, Jamal Murray, Nikola Jokic, Jeremy Grant. That's it. I'm not going to name Gary Harris. I'm not going to name the, the little Morris guard. I'm not going to name uh, Plumley. Who else am I forgetting? Michael Porter Jr., who showed up for a couple games in that Denver LA Clippers series. I'm not going to name those small-time guys, and they're small-time right now. No smack being talked towards the Denver Nuggets right now. All I'm saying is that, t- that team is built around Jamal Murray, Nikola Jokic, and they need Jeremy Grant to play big, productive minutes if they want to beat the Los Angeles Lakers. The thing with the Los Angeles Lakers, that they could pretty much match up with Nikola Jokic. I'm not going to say that they're going to match up perfectly, but when you could throw multiple big bodies at Nikola Jokic, which is what the Clippers cannot do, when you have a JaVale McGee, when you have a Dwight Howard, and obviously when you have a big, giant force like Anthony Davis, Nikola Jokic is going to be on his back foot. He is going to get tired. I expect the Lakers to win this series in five games, which is what the Clippers should have done. But I think they started thinking about playing the Lakers before they actually beat the Denver series. And that's a story for another day, like I said. But Lakers in five, that's my prediction. They slow down Jokic. They got too many bigs to throw around him. But at the end of the day, Nikola Jokic is still going to look like a superstar, but he's not going to look as great like he did against the Clippers. Jamal Murray is going to have to play some big-time minutes, average 35 to 50 points a game, 35 to 50 points a game against the worst shooting backcourt in the NBA with the Los Angeles Lakers, who will need to have to have a productive backcourt to make this series go as smoothly as they plan on making it. And I say that because Caldwell Pope, Rajon Rondo, the list goes on with those guards that aren't the best of shooters. Danny Green, I don't want to say Danny Green's a bad shooter, but at the same time, he's not the same Danny Green that we saw with the San Antonio Spurs. You know why? Because that team is built around LeBron James and Anthony Davis, which is suffice. That's enough. And that'll be enough to beat the Denver Nuggets. Uh, I'm sure the Laker fans are laughing at Clipper fans all around the world because we're supposed to be seeing the Los Angeles Clippers and the Los Angeles Lakers. The two teams that were built for the NBA Finals. If the Clippers were in the East, people would be predicting that the Clippers and the Lakers would be meeting in the Finals. Another letdown year for those predictions. Uh, the story goes on. But we also got to see Miami take down Boston in game one, which was a fantastic game. Uh, every game of this series is going to be great. When you look at the chemistry that both teams have, when you specifically look at the chemistry that the Miami Heat have at this moment with Tyler Hero, with Duncan Robinson, with Jimmy Butler, with Bam Adebayo, with Goran Dragic, that is a good basketball team that has a lot of togetherness, that has a lot of fluidity. They, they know where they are. They know where to pick their spots. They know where each shooter likes to shoot the ball from. All those things that you can't really talk about, but it's kind of second nature. These are the things that you learn at practice. These are the things that you learn with great team chemistry and with not a guy pretty much saying, this is a me team. This is my team that's built around me. Jimmy Butler, in my opinion, took a step back from that role. He kind of put this team together and made that team believe that they are better than they actually are. And it worked. So congratulations to Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Bucket's doing his thing. 
And it, at the end of the day, Jimmy Butler is the one who has the ball in the fourth quarter. He's the one who's going to make the game-winning shot. But he's also the guy that everybody's watching in the last few minutes of the game because the Heat go where my where Jimmy Butler goes. If Jimmy Butler's putting up 20-plus points, playing lockdown defense, making big-time shots in clutch-time minutes, the Heat are going to thrive. And I'm going to say the same thing about the Celtics. They need more from Jason Tatum. They need the Jason Tatum that was the guy that took Boston to the Eastern uh, Conference Finals against LeBron James just a few years ago when he is a rookie. They need that guy. They need a guy who's going to be automatic in the mid-range game. They need a guy who's going to be making dunks over Bam Adebayo when the game is on the line. At the same time, I love the aggressiveness that Jason Tatum played with in that first game against the Miami Heat. Game two is tonight. Y'all could check that out. It's going to be great. I don't have a prediction for you because right now that game is just too tight to predict. I'm just going to enjoy that game. I have no dog in this fight. I, I like I like Boston. I like that team. I like how, how they've grown together. I like how they have been winning without Gordon Hayward. They have multiple ways of winning. They have a great coach with Brad Stevens who puts them in a position to win, who makes them believe that they can beat anybody in this world. And the same thing goes for Miami, a Pat Riley-led group, a Pat Riley-led mentality. That is what they have. They are killers. And Jimmy Butler and Pat Riley are meant for each other. Pat Riley is thrilled to have Jimmy Butler in that locker room because he loves that aggressiveness that Jimmy brings into the locker room. He loves that fire that he plays with. But it's also picking the right guys around Jimmy Butler. I think that was the most important thing for Pat Riley was making sure that you get the right personality around Jimmy Butler, because if you don't do that, oh, that's a crash and burn scenario, man. We know what happened in Minnesota with Jimmy Butler. If that was a crash and burn scenario. You did not bring the right personality, or Jimmy Butler, excuse me, went to the team that did not have the same personality as he did, because that team was already not established, but they all were already drafted and in Minnesota when Jimmy Butler came. That team was not built around Jimmy. Jimmy was trying to jump onto that ship. He made a bad decision. And it made him look really bad when he went through that cussing terrain at practice and just walked out, which eventually led him out of Minnesota to Philadelphia, where he chose not to stay after reaching a deep playoff run with the Philadelphia 76ers. That wasn't the case, though. Miami was his calling card, and he made the right decision. Jimmy has always done what he's wanted to do, and it's led him to this beautiful Miami team. And I say beautiful because they are playing beautiful basketball. And there's no other way to put it. If you like watching good basketball, watch the Miami Heat. They play hard. They play strong. They shoot the ball. They, they're a finesse team. But at the same time, they could also bully you down low with Bam Adebayo, with, uh, with Crowder, who's playing big-time minutes for them as well. Really, really, really going to enjoy the conference finals in the NBA. There's no better way to put it. NBA series on the way. But guys, we got to talk some MMA. I needed to get the NBA out of my system because of those damn Clippers. But now it's time to chat some MMA. We have Damon Martin coming up right around the break. But first, I'm going to give you guys some thoughts of my own. Last weekend, we got to see Pachi Mix and Juan Archuleta go at it for the Bell Tour Championship Belt of the World. And we saw the underdog, Juan Archuleta, get the victory over the new generation type fighter, which is Pachi Mix. Loves to take his opponents to the ground. Loves to ground and pound them. Kind of suffocates them. He does the whole Kamzat Chimaev thing where you're not gonna let, he's not going to let you breathe and he's going to take you into deep waters. He thought he was going to do the same thing to Juan Archuleta because he thought that Juan is a good fighter, but he's not a great fighter. 
Guess again, Patchy Mix. Juan Archuleta, the former actor from the series The Kingdom, did his work in the Octagon last weekend, and he looked like a true champion. He adjusted to the fight. He was taken down in the first round. He was losing the fight one round to zero, but then he switched it up. Juan Archuleta is a good wrestler. He has a lot of great takedown defense as well. But he's not the better grappler than Patchy Mix, which I, is why it's it's the reason why I thought to myself, why is Patchy Mix trying to stand with Juan Archuleta, who is twice the striker that Patchy Mix is? You know, I'm watching this fight with my good friend Dylan Del Cid, and he had the same thoughts as me as well. Why would he want to stand with the guy? He already knows that he could beat him if he gets this fight to the ground. Maybe Patchy Mix hurt himself in that fight, or maybe he was almost gassing himself out in the first round where he was afraid to go back down to the ground, thinking this is a five-round fight. I'm not going to make it to the end if I try taking this fight to the ground. I don't know. We're not going to know that. Only Patchy can answer that that uh, that call right there, and we're not going to find that out until uh, maybe another couple fights when he decides to tell us what actually went wrong against Juan Archuleta. But like I said, Juan Archuleta is a new Bellator featherweight champion of the world, and I can't wait to see what's going to happen next with Juan. Also, Michelle Waterson took on Angela Hill at UFC Vegas number 10, numero 10, and we saw another close loss for Angela Hill, who has now lost two in a row, and they have both been, I don't want to say terrible decisions, but they've been really, really close decisions. And I had Angela Hill winning both of those fights. And it kind of sucks for Angela Hill. She was trying to crack a top five, maybe even get a title shot this coming year. And that's not going to happen anymore after those those two losses. Now she maybe needs to win another three fights or maybe another two fights in a row to get in that title contention type of talk. She has performed well in those two bouts. But she's gotten the losses, and that's pretty. that's all that matters when you're not a former champion. You know, this is not Max Holloway, where he lose a couple of decisions, where a lot of people thought that he won, and Dana still loves him because he's a former champion. He has that massive fight the, the fight win streak that he had behind his name. <clears throat> not the case for Angela Hill. She's not at that level just yet, so it's going to be tough for her to get back to where she wanted to be just a few fights ago. I kind of feel bad for Angela Hill, but that's just the way that the cookie crumbles. That's why they say don't leave your fight in the hands of the judges finish the fight before it gets there and that's the only advice i could possibly give angela hill it's not great advice she'd probably slap me in the face if i told her that right now i think i would slap myself in the face if i was angela hill i'm just saying man that's not what they want to hear she feels that she won the fight i feel like she won the fight she should have got the decision i wonder what damon martin is going to think of mmafighting.com when we talk to him about what happened with angela hill and michelle waterson but guys we have UFC Fight Night number 11 coming up this Saturday. Tyrone Woodley and Colby Covington are finally going to jump in the octagon and lock that cage door. And we're going to see who's going to come out with a victory and who's going to come out crying out of that cage. Because whoever loses that fight is going to be devastated. There's just too much bad blood behind these two names where you're not going to see anybody smiling. If Colby Covington loses his fight... I predict that he is going to run out of this octagon and run right to the back, just like he did against Kamada Usman. If, if Tyrone Woodley loses his fight, I do not expect him to run away because he is always a class act. But he might be busting in some tears because there is a lot of pressure on him to win. There's been a lot of smack talk. There's been some race involved in the back. There's been a lot of low blows. 
this is just a dirty, dirty situation when it comes to these two fighters. And everybody's going to be tuning in. So that's all I'm going to say about that. Tune into this fight. Tyrone Woodley taking on Colby Covington. Make America great again, Colby Covington. You already know where all that uh, that division and with that controversy, you know, when you bring up that term, make America great again, uh, trust me, I'm never going to say anything crappy about the president or about uh, his his uh, his opposition and any political when it comes to my show because I know how much division there is in this country right now. But what I can say is that Colby Covington knows how to get under people's skin, and he has done that with a lot of fighters in the UFC, including Tyrone Woodley, who he will be facing at UFC Vegas number 11. The odds right now, Colby Covington minus 360, Tyrone Woodley plus 290. Heavy, heavy odds when it comes to Colby. Master favorite. Co-main event, Donald Cowboy Cerrone taking on Nico Price. Fight of the night, in my opinion. These two guys are going to go at it. Blood will be spilled. Somebody will be knocked out. But there, this might still be the fight of the night. Also, Kamzat Chimaev and Gerald Mearskart. Guys, are we going to see another guy steamroll Gerald Mearskart? Because Kamzat has been steamrolling everybody. So be expecting another one of those because Gerald is not at the level that Kamzat is at. Even though there's a lot of smack talk going on right now behind the scenes with these two fighters. Johnny Walker, Ryan Spann, another big-time match in the light heavyweight division. Mackenzie Dern, Kevin Holland, Darren Stewart. The list goes on. This is a great card, guys. Randy Costa. Woo! Woo! And don't forget about the Hawaiian. Tyson Nam taking on Jerome Rivera to start off the fight night. Stand up, Hawaii. Tyson Nam is in there, and you know he loves to get those knockouts. I'm excited for UFC Vegas, number 11. All right, guys, we're going to break this down with Damon Martin coming up right after this break. Y'all stay tuned. This is Take Your Shot with me, Matias Burbell. We'll talk to you guys right around this break. What's up, fight fans? Welcome back to Take Your Shot with me, Matias Burbell. We have a very special guest lined up for you guys today, Damon Martin from MMAfighting.com. You can follow Damon on Twitter, at Damon Martin. Also, he does some super cool stuff on NerdcoreMovement.com. You guys like comic books. You guys like superheroes, Marvel, Star Wars, all that stuff. Damon is the man with a plan. He knows all about the greatest stuff going on around the world right now. And don't get it twisted. He's been covering MMA since 2003. I know a lot of you haven't even known about MMA since 2003. Damon's literally the guy who's been covering the sport for years. And he is a savant when it comes to it. What's going on, my friend? Welcome to the show. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. No, man, I love having you on every single time. Your opinions are as great as anybody else's, man. And UFC Vegas 11 on the way right now. To be honest with you, I think that this card actually might be better than the upcoming UFC pay-per-view event. When you look at the actual lineup and the amount of fights that we have and non-cancellations, this fight, this fight card is going to be a lot of fun. What do you think about Tyrone Woodley? Who are we going to get? Are we going to get the old killer? Or are we going to get the guy that wants to take uh, his opponent out to coffee the next day after he loses? Who are we going to get? You know, it's it's so hard to say because Tyron has looked, you know, just not himself his last two fights. Now, of course, we got to give credit where credit is due. He lost to Kamaru Usman, who is the best welterweight in the sport, in my opinion, could be by by the time it's all said and done, the best welterweight of all time. And a guy in Gilbert Burns who's on an incredible hot streak and about to fight for the title. So is there really any shame in losing to the number one and two guys? No. But in neither performance did Woodley look like he was there. I mean, he just looked not present in either fight. He didn't. He do. He wasn't doing anything against either one of them. 
Uh, so you have to wonder where his head's at, you know, and this is basically in my mind a make or break fight for Tyron Woodley. If he loses this one, that's it. I mean, I'm not saying he'll never come back or he's going to retire anything crazy, like that, but I think the days of Tyron Woodley being considered an elite welterweight will be over. Uh, so I think this is a must, absolute must win beyond the rivalry. Obviously, we already know him and Colby Covington hate each other, and that is 100% legit. It is not made up for TV. Uh, but just in terms of competition, Woodley needs a win here, or I don't know where he goes from here. Have we ever seen a champion like Tyrone Woodley, who's at the top of his class, beating up Darren Till, knocking out Robbie Lawler? Have we seen a guy like that, of that caliber, kind of fall off the mountain so quickly, but not just falling off. It's not like he's had close competitive fights. Like you said, the fight against Kamado Usman, he was dominated for five rounds. He didn't even know how to get back up to his feet, let alone throw a strike in that fight. And in the fight against Gilbert Burns, where I thought he would rebound and we would kind of see the old Woodley and maybe go right back after that belt, we got the exact opposite performance. And it was so similar to that fight against Kamado Usman, where he was just so hesitant. And it almost looked like he was afraid to get knocked out. I don't really know what Tyrone Woodley we've seen. But is Colby Covington really the right guy for his next fight? Talk, he might be the best, not the best, but, you know, Colby Covington fought Kamado Usman tooth and nail for nearly five rounds. Colby Covington could very well be the welterweight champion of the world. Is this a step too high for Tyrone? Should he have maybe taken a step back? Well, you know, this is a tough fight, you know, beyond the rivalry aspect of it because they dislike each other so much. But in terms of matchup, you know, Colby Covington, Colby Covington is a cardio machine. He's a guy who can go hard for 25 minutes straight. He's a wrestler. He's a grinder. He's a guy who will likely put Tyron on the cage and, and make him work. Uh, and a couple of fights we've seen out of him, you know, we saw it in the Gilbert Burns fight. We saw it in the Usman fight. We saw it years ago. In a fight against Jake Shields, when he first came to the UFC, it was a very, very boring fight. But Jake Shields basically you know, took away Woodley's power by getting inside and working in the clinch and just continuously working to take him down. And while he didn't dominate him on the ground, Woodley has incredible takedown defense. Woodley just couldn't break free of Jake's grasp, and, and he never really was allowed to throw his hands. Now, again, I don't think Colby Covington wants to go out there and smother Tyron Woodley for five rounds and win a boring decision, but... I think that is an easy game plan to look at and say it has worked effectively in a couple, three different fights. And we're talking about a couple different eras of Tyron Woodley. I mean, that worked against him early in his UFC career, and it's worked in his last couple of fights where guys have kind of learned to you know, press him against the cage and, and, and continue to grapple with him, continue to come after him. Don't let him get space to throw that big right hand. Uh, and, and it's worked. So this is a very, very tough stylistic <laughs> matchup. And consider, you know, listen, Tyron, you know, he actually looked like he had conditioning in his last fight against Gilbert Burns, but he just couldn't really get going. It's like his engine never completely started. So maybe, maybe he'll have that kind of explosiveness, that kind of knockout power in the fourth and fifth round. But Colby is a guy who will go and go and go. He's like the Energizer Bunny. Uh, so, yeah, stylistically, this is a bad matchup for, for Tyron, especially coming off two losses in a moment when everybody is saying this is, you know, do or die for him. We are talking to Damon Martin from MMAfighting.com. You could follow Damon on Twitter, at Damon Martin, always publishing his stories on his Twitter every single day. The guy has content for days. Well, based on what we're talking about right now, I think we're both leaning with Colby Covington winning this fight on Saturday, unless we get to see a big right hand from Woodley, which could obviously knock out anybody. 
But yeah, I, this is tough, right? I, I have a bad feeling about this for Tyrone Woodley. Yeah, it's hard. Listen, it's hard to pick. You know, if you're going by what we've seen, the visual evidence of what we've seen over the yeah. last couple of years, it's really hard to pick Tyron Woodley, especially when you look at the matchup, when you look at what Colby can do and has done. I mean, even when he fought a guy like Robbie Lawler, who is a tremendous striker and obviously has that same kind of one-punch knockout power, negated it and outstruck Robbie Lawler for the better part of five rounds and just really outworked Robbie, and it was a really amazing performance from Colby. So I know Colby is not the most popular guy in the world, but I've talked to a lot of fighters, you know, over the over the past couple of years, he's become kind of an elite welterweight. And, you know, I hear a lot of the same things. I don't like Colby, but you can't deny he's a good fighter. I mean, Kamar Usman has told me numerous times, with Colby Covington, but he's not going to deny that in his mind, you know, and this was going back, you know, before the Gilbert Burns thing, but he said, I believe Colby is the second best welterweight, you know, in the sport after he fought him for nearly five rounds. So, him, you know, they're never going to be friends, but even the champ knows that, you know, Colby is legit. And, and, and stylistically, he's just a bad matchup for Tyron Woodley. Again, now Tyron comes out fired up and, and really wants to prove a point because he hates Colby so much and he wants to prove that he's not on the last legs of his career. Maybe he comes out and just tears through him like a, you know, you know, like a, like a wet paper bag. But it's just we got to go by the evidence we've seen. And the evidence we've seen is that Tyron has not looked himself in his past two fights. And Colby, you know, is as good as advertised. Got to move on to other big fights. We could talk Tyrone Woodley and Colby Covington for hours, it seems like, just because of the bad blood and the history behind both of these guys. But, you know, the co-main event, in my opinion, should be fight of the night if it goes longer than, our, you know, than five minutes in round one. Donald Cowboy Cerrone looking to snap his four-fight losing streak against Nico the Hybrid Price, who is, I guess you could say, in his prime of his MMA career right now. He's, you know, he loses a fight, he wins a fight, he loses a fight, he wins a fight over his last six, it feels like. But man, every single one of those losses, Nico Price was in that fight. You know, the guy goes for the kill, but at the same time, he's not afraid to get killed as well. And this is a great matchup for the fans. Cowboy, we know he likes to bang. We know he's not afraid to get knocked out. Same thing with Nico Price. I don't want to ask you who you think is going to win this fight because I don't think that this fight is kind of predictable to that sense because it's just crazy and it's fun. But uh, who are you most excited to see, Nico Price or Donald Cowboy Cerrone? Well, you know, obviously I think in terms of what I have questions about is Donald Cowboy Cerrone. He's coming off four straight losses, uh, you know, and there's no shame losing to the guys he's lost to. But, again, nobody, I don't care who you are, you don't want to be on four straight losses in the UFC. And I don't think even if Cowboy loses this fight, would they ever in a million years release him? But, again, five-fight losing streak is a, is a horrible look. And Nico Price is a guy that – Every time he performs, and there's been a number of times, listen, I'll be the first to admit, I've counted him out and thought, man, this guy is about to get steamrolled. And then he yeah. goes out there and has, like, you know, the crazy knockout he had against Randy <laughs> Brown or you know, some yeah. of the other things he's done. So, you know, Nico Price is a guy who just continues to defy the odds and, and, and always puts on exciting fights. And, you know, you can argue and say, you know, that dude, that, uh, you know, that live by the sword, die by the sword attitude is, is not healthy and, and probably, you know, won't build you a big winning streak, but – uh, but Nico, what he's done by having this kind of style is he's guaranteed he's going to get into big fights like what he is now at the co-main event. It guarantees he's probably always going to have a spot on the UFC roster. So I'm I'm interested to see how Cowboy lost. I'm interested to see how he looks back at welterweight. Uh, but I'm also, you know, if Nico Price is fighting, I'm tuning in because that guy is just guaranteed excitement whenever he performs. You know, I didn't want to ask you this question. It just came to me before we started this interview. But because we're talking some Nico Price, 
you know, I don't think I can name another guy in the UFC roster right now that has the craziest knockouts when it comes to just abnormal type stuff than Nico Price. Which one is out of the three knockouts I'm going to give you right now? Which one's your favorite? The the James Vick fight, the Randy Brown fight, like you just said, or the Tim Means knockout? Out of those three. Those knockouts have been killer, man, and they all stand out. You know, there's UFC fighters that wish to have knockouts, like one of those, like one of the ones that Nico Price has. He has three of them, and he probably has more, but those are just the three most recent ones that I remember, and they're crazy. Yeah, I love the upkick knockout. Those are so rare. Yeah. I always yeah. remember, yeah. you know, the upkick knockout from uh, from Dream, and then when you get Garden Masasi fought Jacare, and you know, it's so rare to see an upkick knockout. So the James Vick knockout is definitely memorable, but. It's got to be the Randy Brown fight. I've never seen someone <laughs> on the ground hammer fist his way to a knockout, which is yeah. crazy. I mean, hammer fisting is a way you finish a fight after you've already knocked a guy down. You don't typically knock people out with hammer fists, and this guy's on his back uh, hammer fisting away and gets a knockout. That I, I will literally – I mean, I don't care – you know, 20 years from now, you know, Nico Price can be retired <laughs> yeah. and gone, and I'm still going to be thinking about that knockout. So that's got to be number one for me. As much as I love all of his knockouts, that's the one that is still, like, bonkers in my mind that that actually happened. We are taking shots right now with Damon Martin from MMAfighting.com. You just heard him, the Randy Brown knockout for Nico Price. And you're right, that was absolutely incredible. You could watch that thing 20 times over again and still wonder how the hell could he be so patient and so calm to get a knockout like that from his back in a moment where you think Randy Brown's about to you know, ground and pound him and, and send him to Pluto. Not the case. Don't forget to check out Nico Price for Donald Cowboy Cerrone this Saturday at UFC 11 in Las Vegas. UFC Plus, I mean UFC Plus, ESPN Plus, free watching, enjoy. You know, a, a guy that's fighting on this card as well, Kamzat Chimaev, the guy has been steamrolling by his last two opponents. Obviously, they haven't been big-name opponents. This is a brand-new guy to the, to the UFC, Chimaev, Chimaev. And now he's getting Gerald Muscard. And when you look at Gerald, this guy is a tough guy. He's, a, he's not a name opponent, but he has 31 wins, 13 losses. He's had a lot of professional fights. There's some beef going on between these two guys right now. I know that Gerald likes the spotlight right now because he's, this is a kind of like a big-time fight for him right now considering where he is in his career. Is it smart for him to get to get Kamzat a little mad right now? And we know that he feels it because Chimai have already told him, enough talking. And Gerald's saying, we're going to fight on Saturday. He wants to get paid. What do you think about this fight? Does he get steamrolled? When I say he, does Gerald get steamrolled? Well, you know, I don't. That, that's a good question, and, and and my my early reaction would be no. I don't think he'll get steamrolled, but but I don't know that he'll win this fight. I mean, Kamzat Chimaev is as good as advertised, and I I remember speaking to his manager Ali Abdelaziz. You know, before he got signed to the this guy, you know, this is the guy who manages Habib Nurmagomedov and Justin Gaethje and Marlon Marias, and the list goes on and on. And he yeah. said, I've never been this excited about a prospect in all my years managing fighters. And that says a lot <laughs> about how yeah. good Kamzat Chimaev is. So I think he's absolutely legit. I think the one caveat you got to throw in this thing, though, is I think Kamzat Chimaev is ultimately and better going to be served for his career uh, as a welterweight. And so he is going up and fighting a legit middleweight in Gerald Mearshart, who is a very good grappler. 
you know, strong guy, legit middleweight, trains with a good team out of Rufus Sport in Milwaukee. So I don't think this will be as much of a, uh, a, a showcase, so to speak, as he's had in his last couple of fights. And we got to remember, I mean, John Phillips, again, admirable veteran, but he has a losing record in the UFC. And Reese McKee was making his debut on short yeah. notice. So it's not like we've seen him fight the cream of the crop just yet. So if he can go out there and absolutely just, you know, steamroll Gerald Mershart in a division that I don't believe is really his, then, man, that says a lot. I think he will win, but I don't know that he's just going to walk through Mearshart the way he's done other guys. But anything is possible. I am a big believer in Kamzat Chimaev. I think he is absolutely legit. I think one day he could be a contender for the title. But, again, I think we get a little too ahead of ourselves putting that much on this guy after two wins over a guy who's currently 0-1 in the UFC and a guy who has a losing record in the UFC. We're talking to Damon Martin from MMAfighting.com, breaking down UFC 11 coming up this Saturday. I told you earlier in this interview that this card might be better than UFC 253 coming up next weekend. You know why? Because we haven't even got to this fight, which, you know, a couple months ago, we this might be a co-main event. But because of the rise and the fall of Johnny Walker, he's starting off the main card against Ryan Spann. Johnny Walker said that he improved his lifestyle. He's sleeping, he's training, and that's pretty much all he's doing. No more partying. We'll, we'll have to see it to believe it. But he's taking on Ryan Spann. If you would have told me five months ago, when, when, or five months ago, last November, when we saw Johnny Walker taking on Corey Anderson for the Nate Diaz, Jorge Masvidal fight card, I would have never guessed that he'd be on this losing streak and now fighting Ryan Spann because lots of people were talking about Johnny Walker and John Jones for that light heavyweight championship belt of the world. The hype was real. Not It definitely was not real because look what we have now. Is this a must-win for Johnny Walker or a must-win for Ryan Spence? I don't really know, but both these guys want a big victory. Johnny Walker is just a guy you can't trust right now. Yeah, I mean, Johnny's in a tough spot because, again, you know, listen, he had the the the, you know, the world, you know, kind of heaped on his shoulders after a few quick knockouts, and they were impressive, absolutely. But, you know, he started talking about, I'm going to be the guy to beat John Jones, and John Jones started paying attention to Johnny Walker. And at that point, you know, everyone's like, he's the next big thing. And then, you know, again, the bottom falls out. He gets knocked out by Corey Anderson, and he has a kind of an ugly performance against Nikita Krylov. So, yeah, this is kind of a must-win situation for Johnny Walker. I don't, You know, listen, I don't, I'm don't. i not taking a dig on Johnny Walker. I'm just saying, honestly, even with those quick knockouts, immediately I said, I don't think we should be anointing this guy as the next great guy, not because he's not talented, just because we need to see more. I said the same saying the same thing about Kamzat Chimaev, and I absolutely believe he's a guy who could be, a contender one day, but I keep saying the word could be because we've got to see him fight those fights. And the same thing here when Johnny Walker fought a legit top five, top six light heavyweight, he got slept by Corey Anderson. And then he fought a kind of a, I, I don't journeyman is the wrong word, but like a perennial top 15 guy in Krylov. He's yeah. never been a contender. He's probably never going to be a contender, but he's a tough guy. And, and he got beaten that fight too. So, Ryan Spann is kind of like on the outside looking in, trying to you know get into that top fifteen. Looks like a good prospect. He's looked great in some you know some recent fights. He's had a good win streak in the UFC. This is a tough test uh, for both guys, but yeah, for Johnny, this is either going to be you know getting back on track and proving that the hype was at least somewhat real about him, or you know he's going to drop to I think three and three in the UFC with three straight losses. And again, I don't think he's going anywhere. I don't think they'll release him by any means. But I think at that point, the luster is knocked off, and I don't know that he'll ever be able to regain that. Could we make a difference that a guy like Chimaev, 
who is an excellent grappler, loves to take your back, loves to take the fight to the ground, kind of the whole Khabib ground and pound thing. He doesn't need to strike and stand with you. He could do that as well, but really he's going to make you look bad in an area where you're not as trained as he is. You know, when it comes to these differences and, and like the ceiling for these fighters, we really don't know how great a fighter could be until he gets hit in the face for the first time. We saw that with Johnny Walker. We might see that with Kamzat Chimaev, but when we talk about ceiling, do you think that because Chimaev is just such an animal on the ground and what we've seen in his last fights where he pretty much just suffocates his opponents, does that give him a higher ceiling than a, than a striker like Johnny Walker to the point where if you can't stri- if you can strike with Johnny Walker and take him to the ground, he doesn't know really what he's going to do when, how to get back up. That's kind of what we saw with Krylov. Once you take him to the ground, uh, Johnny Walker looked lost and confused and he didn't want to be in that fight. A little different than Chimaev, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, there's, listen, there's a balancing act because what happens, you know, are, you know what happens if Chimaev doesn't get, you know, down to the ground? Can he strike with people? Right. Can he survive on his feet? But what we've seen, history has told us typically, you know, wrestlers and grapplers have a longer shelf life because, you know, that is a harder art to pick up. Wrestling, in my opinion, is the best base for mixed martial arts and it is the hardest thing to learn. Uh, that's why we make such a big deal when top-notch wrestlers make their move into mixed martial arts because the track record is there to say that they have a very high ceiling for success, and that's exactly the background that Kamzat Chimaev comes from. You know, being from you know Russia, you know training in Sweden, he works with good strikers like Alexander Gustafsson and his coaching staff out there in Sweden. So the pedigree is there for a guy like Chimaev, whereas with Johnny Walker. You know, it's it's kind of the Shane Carwin effect a little bit. When Shane Carwin was on top of the world and one of the best heavyweights in the sport, he was just just destroying people. Three minutes in, three minutes out, just just absolutely demolishing everybody. But then what happened? You know, when he went out there and did that to Brock Lesnar, and he couldn't finish Brock, and then he was just gassed. I mean, he was just so gassed and completely he just had nothing left in the tank. And so we, and that's the kind. I asked that question to Gerald Mearshart yesterday on the uh, on the media day. I said. You know, is this kind of a learning lesson about where, you know, Chimaev is? Because we haven't seen him really take a punch. We haven't seen him not get a takedown. We haven't seen him, you know, be forced to strike with people. And these are all questions that have to be answered. But I think with a guy like Chimaev, we've seen the wrestling. We've seen the ground and pound. We've seen that style that if he gets in trouble, as long as he can get it to the ground, it works for him. But again, I thought Ben Askren was going to be a problem because he's such a dominant, suffocating grappler that I thought he was going to be a real problem. Uh, in the UFC, and 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 we never actually saw that. I mean, he had the you know he had the the weird you know the crazy wild fight with Robbie Lawler. He got smoked by George Masvidal, and then he had the you know the grappling fest with Damian Maya, who ultimately out grappled the grappler. So we never got yeah. to see him really use that style. So nothing's guaranteed. But if you're asking me who I believe would be the better prospect in terms of that striker versus grappler, I absolutely believe Chimaev is legit, and Johnny Walker. Was a bit of a was a was a bit of an anomaly because he had so many great qu- quick knockouts, but we never actually saw him tested until he got tested and lost. No, uh, fun stuff, fun stuff. If, if Johnny Walker gets a victory versus Ryan Span, how funny would it be if he decides, you know what, I want to fight Chimaev next, even if we're not in the same weight class. I'm going to drop down just to fight this prospect. Who knows? The UFC's fireworks right now. We're going to talk to Mike Chandler here in a little bit because that is definitely the news of the day when it comes down to the UFC signing an amazing, up not an up-and-comer, an amazing established fighter like Mike Chandler. But first things first, quick question on UFC Vegas 10. Well, we saw Michelle Watterson beat Angela Hill. Some people thought that Watterson lost the fight. Who did you have? I had Angela Hill winning that fight again. 
just how I had her winning that fight against Claudia Gadelia. A uh, crazy little two-fight losing streak for Angela Hill now, who was uh, really close to being in that top five. Yeah, I, I scored her for Angela Hill as well. I thought she, uh, I thought she won forty-eight, forty-seven. Uh, yeah. I, I, again, I don't, I don't think it's a controversial decision. I actually had a bigger problem with the Claudia Gadelia decision. Uh, I thought Angela clearly won that fight. I don't think yeah. it was as clear cut. I think it really came down to one round between Michelle and uh, and Angela, who you scored it for. And I think that was the fifth round, actually. I believe I had it two two going into the fifth, uh, and, and it was tied. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, listen, it's not a bad decision, but I, I think you know this is a rare instance where they both got a chance to shine on short notice moving into the main event after what happened with uh, Glover Teixeira and, and Tiago Santos. And, and, you know, Dana White says a lot of craziness, but one thing he did say last Saturday night that I do agree with is I don't really feel like there was a, a big loser in this fight. Even though Angela Hill has lost two in a row, she's kind of had the support of the audience behind her for both those losses. And, and it wasn't like Michelle Waterson went out there and dominated and knocked her out or, or did something crazy. She had a, you know, a very close split decision. And Michelle is a veteran who's been around. I mean, she's fought, you know, you, know, you got to remember, she lost to Carlos Barza. She lost to Joanna and Jacek. It's not like she was, you know, a, a one fight away from a title shot. So I don't think it really hurt. Or even honestly, I know it sounds terrible. I don't think it really helped either one of them either. Uh, because, again, yeah. Michelle was coming off, you know, a couple of tough losses. I think she needs – you know, a couple more wins before we're talking about her knocking on that door of title contention. And I feel like Angela Hill's kind of in the same position, even off two tough losses. I feel like she's probably two good wins for me right, right back to where she wants to be. The best thing that happened last weekend was that we got to see Patchy Mix and Juan Archuleta. Uh, we got to see that fight after the Angela Hill and Michelle Watterson fight. I'm really ha- glad that those two fights didn't happen at the same time because we know that Bellator and UFC was going on at the same time. I thought that that patchy mix and that Juan Archuleta fight was the best fight of the of the of the weekend last weekend. When you look at just the competitiveness of that fight, what do you think of new Bellator champion Juan Archuleta getting that win over Patchy Mix? Yeah, very impressive. I mean, listen, I, I was a big believer in Patchy Mix. I mean, look at yeah. what, you know, what he had done. And, and to see Archuleta go out there and, and survive early with him and then come back late really shows the makeup of a champion. I mean, that's the, that's really it. That's where we kind of learn what you're made of. I mean, you know, we, uh, you know, I think, you know, when John Jones became John Jones, I think a lot of people became a bigger believer in John Jones after he had to dig deep and beat Alexander Gustafson for the first time because up to that point, he had never really been challenged. I mean, all we ever all we ever talked about, you know, was well, he had kind of one off round against Leota Machida. That was literally the only thing we could say about John Jones until he went out there and had a you know a five round war with Gustafson. And then after that, we're kind of like it almost made him a better fighter. We're kind of saying to ourselves, this guy is, you know, who I believe now is the greatest fighter of all time because he had to go through those wars. He had to go through those battles. And I'm not saying Archuleta is John Jones by any stretch of the imagination, but. He had to gut. He had to gut through a couple tough rounds with Patchy Mix to come back and win that. So it was a very impressive performance. No, it was fantastic. I, you know, watching Juan Archuleta on the Kingdom uh, show that we are seeing through Netflix now and also through Directv prior to it was great to see Juan get uh, get that belt. And uh, super happy for Juan Archuleta. Super happy that he's doing his thing in Bellator. Bellator just lost Mike Chandler to the UFC. We saw that he was signed today, but what I did not expect to see Damon was that he would be a replacement fighter for the Justin Gaethje Habib Nurmagomedov fight for that lightweight championship belt of the world. Maybe a shot too high of ascension 
for Mike Chandler, who is arguably in the toughest division in the UFC. He gets to skip the line pretty much. That's what I'm seeing right now. Who cares if he's not a replacement fighter? I mean, who cares that he's a replacement fighter? What that told me was that he just jumped the line ahead of anybody else who would be a replacement fighter. Should the lightweight division be pissed off at Dana White for stirring the pot up with Michael Chandler? By the way, I love that what, what's going on right now. I think this creates great headlines. Yeah, listen, I don't necessarily look at Michael Chandler skipping ahead and skipping the line and jumping over everybody else in the division. I think what this ultimately comes down to was is that the UFC wanted to book a fight between Dustin Poirier and Tony Ferguson. The deal didn't come together. Michael Chandler became the wild card in that mix, and I've heard over the last few days they tried to talk about maybe making Ferguson versus Chandler, maybe even making Poirier versus Chandler, uh, whatever. And, and again, we're not, you know, nothing's done yet. In, in terms of like you know, everything that's happening right now doesn't mean it can't change in the next 24 hours if someone comes to an agreement, a deal gets struck. But for right yeah. now, Michael Chandler is the one guy who's absolutely in. He just inked a deal, so he's already done. Uh, and so right now he's serving as the backup. But I don't think, unless he actually does jump in and fight either Gaethje or, or Khabib on short notice, I don't think he's really going to necessarily jump the line. But the fact that he's in this position on day one in the UFC as a backup for UFC 254 uh, that means, I think, coming out of that event, assuming he doesn't fight, he's going to get one of those marquee fights. He's going to get Tony Ferguson. He's going to get Dustin Poirier. And then he really is, you know, one win away from a title shot. We are talking to Damon Martin from MMAfighting.com. Damon, I've taken too much of your time, and I apologize about that, man. We're having a lot of fun on Take Your Shot with me, Matias Ravel. Thank you so much for joining the show, man. I can't wait to catch up with you again before another big-time UFC pay-per-view. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me. And there he is, Damon Martin from MMAfighting.com. Don't forget, guys, you could follow his work on Twitter at Damon Martin, also MMAfighting.com. The guy is putting out great work every single week, keeping everybody updated around the MMA world. And also... Man, next week we'll talk some more NBA. We'll give you an update about where we are in the conference finals. Is it Miami? Is it the Lakers? Are we going to get another game seven? Did the Clippers fire Doc Rivers? All that and more on Take Your Shot with me, Matias Brabell. We'll see you all next week. What's up, fight fans? Welcome to Take Your Shot with me, Matias Brabell. Round two. Very excited to have our next guest on with us today, and that is number two ranked bantamweight in the world, Corey Sanhagen. Taking some shots with me, Matias Rebell, on the show today. You can follow Corey on his Instagram at EnterTheSandman135. Corey's been fighting with Elevation Fight Team, and I'm pretty sure Corey's going to get a title shot in his next fight after he just defeated Marlon Marais at UFC Abu Dhabi. What do you think, Corey?